This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Let's pray. Mighty God, as we approach you at this moment, we trust that you are able to again speak to our hearts as we make ourselves available to you. Keep us faithful, keep us honest, and help us to remain true to you. But also, Lord, to honor the commitment that marriage represents before God. We love you and we thank you for all these gifts and for the gifts of you speaking to our hearts just now is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So advising love's experience. So we looked at love's beginning, we looked at love's growth, and then we looked at love's commitment. And in looking at love's commitment, we acknowledge that after engagement, right, we're, we're crossing the line into this whole new experience. And so we want to talk about, as we said, the good, the bad, the ugly, and really give you a full picture of what it's really about from our perspective and what we can see from the Bible. So we have some key takeaways, as usual, uh, every session. So the first thing is, is that the Bible says in Genesis 2.18 that God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to turn there to Genesis 2.18. So in Genesis 2.18, the Bible says that it is not good for man to be alone. Now, this is a very unique statement in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Now, here's why. Are you there? Amen? Okay, you guys sound like you had a long day. So it says in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Verse 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and did what to them? What did he do with those animals? He brought them to Adam. So was Adam alone? Was he literally alone? No. No, he was not. So notice two, two groups of entities are interacting with Adam. First of all, God is interacting with Adam. He made him. He told him to tend and to keep the garden. He said, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but not this one. So God is interacting with Adam. And so this whole idea that God is enough is not a biblical idea. You need to keep that in mind. In God's ideal, before sin entered the world, God said it is not good that man should be alone. Now he's talking about man having social needs. But as Ellen White articulates, marriage fulfills our social needs, which is why God created it. So here is God talking to Adam, but he recognized something would be missing from Adam's experience if Adam only had God to interact with and the animals in the garden. You know, it's amazing how much we spend on pets every year in the world. And you know, every woman's greatest fear is to become the cat woman, right? having a whole bunch of house of cats. <laughs> and in this 
Same experience, Adam had plenty of animals in the garden. Adam had access to Jesus himself. And even greater than that, if he had access to Jesus, then he also had access to angels. So in each of these groups of people, Adam was interacting with the God of heaven personally. Adam was interacting with every single animal God created under the sun, and he was personally naming them. Adam was interacting with angels, but yet God said the man was alone. What this tells you and I is that there is a certain experience that Adam could not find fulfillment through in his interaction with God, in his interaction with angels, in his interaction with animals, that he could only find in his interaction with Eve. And I use the illustration this way. After God would visit Adam in the garden and speak to him, teach him some amazing new truth, Adam could not come back to the parrot and say, did not your heart burn within you? You understand? Man, I'm so moved. What is he going to do? Talk to the parrots and the dolphins? And No, that's not, they can't relate to him in the same way. In the same sense to angels, angels were there when Adam was created. So they're like, God doing, we know these things. And then God himself, even God has the Trinity. He has the Father and he also has the Spirit. And why is that significant? Because when Jesus comes to the Father, the Father shares Jesus' nature. He understands what Jesus understands. He feels the same exact way that Jesus feels. So when God was creating this context of marriage, he was creating an experience for Adam where he was telling him, listen, in this experience that you're going to have with this woman, she's going to be one that shares your nature. She can relate in life. Her senses are the same. Her intellect can develop. Her physical body. She has hands like you. Dogs don't have the same even body parts. And even though you're fundamentally different by you're a man and she's a woman, but yet all the other similarities overcome those differences that lead you into unity. So in this experience, when we talk about marriage and love's experience, love's experience, according to God's creation and his order in Genesis 2, this inspires perfect happiness. I want to quote something that Ellen White said. She says, in commenting on this experience, she says, when God saw Adam in the garden before he made Eve, he knew that the current state of Adam's situation would never create perfect happiness. I want you to think about what I just said. He didn't say Adam would not be happy. He said it would not yield perfect happiness. So when God is looking at Adam, Adam is content. Am I right? He didn't say, God, why am I alone? It wasn't until after he saw all the animals that he realized, you know what? I don't have a helper comparable to me. Which is why God brought the animals to him in the first place. To help him recognize this. But before that, Adam was content. It was God that was not satisfied. When we think about the institution of marriage... Marriage is representative of the very reality that when you are satisfied, God is not. 
While you are happy, God says, there's even better. Mm-hmm. While you are content, God says, I can take it even higher. I'll take that one amen. We have to realize that in the experience of marriage, God's goal for us is perfect happiness. That was always his ideal. Marriage was not designed to bring woe and burden and weigh upon us. Not when God made it. He wanted us to have perfect happiness. And so when we talk about this seminar and all these different different things, our goal is to try to carve out from the Bible and practical experience, how do we push towards Jesus' ideal of perfect happiness? Because that's what God wants for us. Even if we don't want it for ourselves, Jesus wants it for us. Now, we start here by simply saying the fact that marriage is a beautiful thing. Amen? Mm-hmm. Marriage is beautiful. Um, I mean, after, when we think about the intention and the purpose behind it, what we just talked about, um, to have a space and a person, um, or as we continue in Genesis, right? We know that later on, um, when Adam says that this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, um, the Bible tells us that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And I know that this is one of the areas of marriage that I personally um, find to be a beautiful thing, where you can be in a space where you can be naked and not ashamed. Now, I'm not, I'm not just talking about the physical, the physical part of that. Um, but a space where you can be your true self and you don't have to be ashamed of that. Um, And so God created this space for us to experience that. Um, We know we have that with him, but he made it so that we can experience that with another person. Um, And so the intentions there are for it to be a beautiful thing, but it it really is us making it beautiful Um, because we we have to allow that space to stay safe or to remain a safe space for our spouse and them for us in order for this to be true. Amen. So when we talk about marital life, right, we're talking about romantic vacations. I remember one of the first experiences that really gripped me about being married was waking up the next morning next to her in the bed and knowing that it was right. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) There was nothing wrong with that. (laughs) And to think of the fact that when you do it God's way, even the littlest things inspire you in your marriage experience because we were doing it God's way to wake up in the bed next to Candace that morning after we got married you know it was one of those moments of clarity and recognition like I'm exactly where God wants me to be and I was just watching her sleep and to think right you're looking at this woman this beautiful woman who you just married and after all the fanfare right where is she coming back to She's coming back to my arms. And they say, that's my wife. That's the person I'm supposed to cherish and take care of. And so immediately, right, that, that inspiration kicks in, like I should order something for breakfast, right? We should do something special, right? And in those senses, right, taking romantic vacations and all these different things, people think, oh, yeah, no, you can do this. And, I, you know, I'm not trying to down people who take, you know, mission vacations and all that stuff. I think that's great, and I think you should do it. But I also think there's a place Mm -hmm. for us just to have time for us and our spouse. Just to express that love to them and to recognize that we appreciate them and we cherish them. 
Because it's not possible for you to be in love with the person and not want to do that. Whenever there is love, there's always a desire for intimacy. There's always a desire for exclusivity, right? Even though my wife is very happy to allow me to preach, it still pains her to let me go. Amen? Yes, amen. (laughs) And at the same time, you know, I start to see it even in my children. And so now, even when I go to work and my kids see me put on a suit and a tie, Papa, my son's like, Papa, are you going to preach again? I'm like, no, son, I'm just going to work. I'm not leaving anywhere. He's like, oh, okay. All right, see you later. (laughs) This is like, and he runs out. But as soon as I'm going to the airport and I'm getting out, right, my daughter's all crying, Papa, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you too, sweetness. I'm sorry, I have to go, right? And and you start questioning yourself, Lord, what are you calling me to, right? Is this my cross? (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, that I have to bear? But I recognize that just to be here at GYC, just me and my wife, I know everybody wants to see the kids and all that kind of stuff, but hey, hallelujah, right? We have a week where it's just us, (laughs) and we can have time for us and to invest in that. And I believe that that's something that should be protected in your marriage. Yes, and before we move on, investing in each other. I know you mentioned um, missions, Mm -hmm. right? And there is nothing nothing wrong with missions i mean we do missions together as a family too mm-hmm. however um sometimes we think of ministry as being something that takes precedence over our our family or our personal life because we think that i guess i don't know sometimes we may just feel as though our our marriage or that's just fulfilling our own personal desire there that's not at all you know related to what what god's work is and we fail to remember that that um our marriage our home that we're establishing that is also a holy thing that is also a ministry in and of itself and so that is something that we need to be protecting yeah very very important very very important also in terms of date nights one of the things that we encourage couples to do is don't give up your date night you got to maintain a day every week especially to the guys you got to maintain it every week where you're just there to treat your wife. And especially when the kids start coming along, you're going to recognize how much more you need to do it. Because sometimes, right, we forget that the Bible has a lot of counsel to how we should treat our wives as a men. Not only does it say to love, but I want to take you to 1 Peter 3. In this verse, I remember, you know, shocking me into action and reminding me of some things that I needed to make sure I took care of. 1 Peter chapter 3. Sometimes we like to use this passage, 1 Peter 3, wives submit to your own husbands, right? Sarah called Abraham Lord. And people want to quote this, but they don't want to keep reading. Because the very next text in verse 7 says, husbands likewise. (laughs) So God doesn't have just counsel for for the women. He has counsel for the men. And he has warnings that he never gives to the woman. He says, husbands, likewise, dwell with them. He's talking about your wives with understanding, giving what honor to your wife. Think about this. God says through the apostle Peter, by inspiration, husbands, you need to give honor to your wife. He says, as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. God will not hear your prayers based upon the way you treat your wife. People think, oh yeah, you know, I'm out here doing this and that and the third. I don't care how much that brother's praying. 
The Bible says you don't give honor to your wife. You don't dwell with her with understanding. Your prayers will be hindered. It's no joke. And this is all the way back in the Old Testament in Proverbs 18.22, where the Bible says that he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. You find a good wife. The Bible says God will favor you more as a man because of the woman you married. You will obtain grace and favor from God because of your wife. How can you treat the woman who's bringing more grace and favor into your life as something that's not honorable? Are you tracking what I'm saying? And Peter says you need to recognize that God is going to look at you as a man and essentially say to you, hey, listen. <laughs> I'm not trying to hear your prayers because you're not listening to your wife. That's what he's saying. And so for us, the date nights is very important that we take time to, to go out. And I remember, um, you know, date nights can be very, very good and very, very great. Um, I know, babe, you have a, a favorite date night. Oh, my favorite date night well, was one that I that I was running. <laughs> <laughs> well, we take turns, right? We take turns. So we each lead out every other week. Um, a favorite date night that. Um, yeah, my favorite one, the one that keeps coming to my mind is, you know, many times we think that we have to like go and do something extravagant. I'm, I'm very much one that likes to do something that's significant and preferably low budget. Save money. You want to spend no money. <laughs> Babe, let's go to this four star hotel restaurant. How much does it cost? Once in a while. I mean, I like that too, but I like that. <laughs> it's just that it doesn't always have to be that in order for it to be special. So I like to be creative. And so um, there was one date night that I created a house spa and it was like a spa night complete with a tray of grapes and vegan cheeses and sparkling cider. It was a blessing, <laughs> <let you> know. <laughs> it was a blessing. Um, so that was, a, that was my favorite because of how well it was received. And I saw that it meant a lot to him, especially being the busy guy that he is. So to have a night to just be pampered, which he's not going to go to the spa. So, mm -mm. Um, but he liked it though. So <laughs> gave him ideas for, you know, what to do for moi. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, a lot of different things that we've done for date nights. We'll, we'll go to, um, you know, cafes, have tea, because uh, we don't drink coffee or stuff like that. But um, we'll go there and have tea, and sometimes we'll meet other people while we're there. We'll talk, um, have dialogue. Sometimes we... Play games we, there. Yeah, we'll play games there. Or uh, one time our date night came on the very heel of a very uh, passionate argument. And so we, we went there and we said, well, should we still do date night? Because we just had a really bad argument. And we're like, well, we should still go. Right. And so we got there and we didn't really know what we we're going to do. We just ordered ginger tea and sat down. And next thing you know, Candace is like, well, you know, Papa, I got these magazines and I was hoping we could cut out some letters. And I wanted us to make uh, this sign together to put in our room that says there's nothing that we cannot learn to do together with Christ's help. And so that's what we did there. And people were wondering, you know, what we were making. We're cutting out all these letters and talking and laughing. And by the end, right, we totally forgot what the argument was even about. Um, we've also done uh, different kind of date nights where, you know, we uh, will we'll get canvases 
uh, little small canvases and some watercolors. Oh, that was and we'll do some, uh, some painting um, to try to, you know, illustrate different things that we appreciate about each other. And then they're sitting there in our rooms to always remind us um, of how we visually expressed it. Just ways for us to be creative and engage together. Um, and of course, you have the regular stuff, you know, if you want to go walking together or you want to go for a run. Um, and I mean, we could go on and on and on forever, different ideas of what you could do. But the key thing is, it's very important that we always know in our marriage that there is always going to be time just for us. Mm -hmm. And it's set aside. It's not going to get run out. It's not going to be, oh, sorry, babe, I double booked. Oh, sorry, I, I have another meeting. It's going long. I got to be willing to tell people when I'm on a conference call and I get on many of them and people are going long and waxing eloquent. And, you know, my wife's looking at me like it's six o'clock. I'm like, yeah, yeah, five more minutes. Guess what time it is? Seven o'clock by the time you get off. And so by that point in time, it's showing that you're not valuing your wife more than this. And at the end of the day, who cares to be successful in business and your wife is not there to enjoy it with you? So at that point, I had to start learning. Hey, man, da, 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 man, you got another hour? Nope. Got to go. Talk to you guys later. And one guy actually got offended, right? He was texting me. He said, when can we meet? What about Saturday night? I said, no, that's my date night. Man, we're trying to build a business, man. You talking about date night? I was like, click. <laughs> about to mess stuff up at home. <laughs> I said, bro, you crazy. <laughs> my wife is my second self. I'm like, how am I going to sit here and talk to you about making a business? You're going to be please, lonely. Man. <laughs> I'd rather be broke. <laughs> it's the truth. I would rather be broke than to be sit out here with a broken marriage. And the reality... Because, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go you on. said what? I was going to just say the reality is that if we were courting or if we were um, in the stages beforehand, you know, if something came up, you'd be like, no, nah, I have plans already. Uh, there would yep. be no, there would be no conversation about it. Uh, but many times we get into marriage and we're like, oh, you know, this person's always going to be there. But that's the thing. You have to keep investing so that that person is always there in the way that we want them to be. Amen. Uh, another aspect, we obviously talk about missions. Um, a couple years ago, we took our family. Uh, we had two kids at the time and we were basically out on mission for about six and a half months all over the place. Uh, England, Cambodia, Austria, Austria, Dubai, Dubai, Amsterdam. We were everywhere with our kids, homeless, just roaming. Um, it was and crazy. people was looking at, looking at us like, wait a minute. So you got kids and then you decided to go on missions. Usually people go on missions and come back and have kids. Right. But for us, you know, we began to see as we've taken our kids to different places and not only the relationships that they've developed, but the very fact of how ministry and all these things are very central to our life as a family. And they begin to see how important that is. To the point now where now my kids, you know, now they're trying to preach and they want to do all this stuff on Sabbath morning. Like, Pop, I'm going to preach on Sabbath. Okay, sounds good, man. <laughs> um, my daughter wants to sing and teach Sabbath school and lead out in these different things. So you're, you're recognizing that by allowing our kids to share in our service, they begin to see us as examples. We're not just telling them serve Jesus and make God first. We're showing them what that actually looks like. And also we're recognizing the fact that one time I remember I was doing evangelistic meetings in Munich. And I just had my daughter, Nafti, 
And my wife was sitting there and I had all these slides to finish up for the series and she could tell I was stressed, right? But Nafti was like rolling around acting crazy and she was trying to get the place set up as well as take care of her. And um, she was like, babe, you know, we should not have come. You know, you're so busy. You have all this stuff to do. Like, we don't want to hinder your ministry, like what God's calling you to do. And I had to pull my wife aside and I said, babe, you are my ministry. And so I said, it's actually, this is distracting me from my ministry. So I said, you should never feel bad because I know that when everything has come to an end, the last thing that's going to be on my mind is thinking to myself, not, oh man, did I hit that one last evangelistic series or that slide I could have made better. It's going to be knowing that my wife and my children can be by my side in sincerity. Not just because I'm their dad, but because they always knew that I loved them and valued them. Because at the end of the day, those are the people going to be by your bedside. All those people you preach to and, yeah, yeah, we love you and everything. They'll pray for you, post a couple posts online and social media, but they're not coming to your hospital. Your wife's going to be the one by your bedside. And in that sense, you better make sure you're investing in the future in that. So for us with missions, bringing our family together and recognizing that your family is your first ministry, it's not your only ministry. That's the key. Yes, it is your first ministry, but it is not your only ministry, and it shouldn't be your only ministry, because God had given us gifts long before we had a family. And I'd also say with engaging, I mean, we want to, so if we know that's something we want to do when we have children, which will be in our next session about parenting and that whole gamut there, um, then it's good to start establishing those patterns and behaviors <clears throat> excuse me, beforehand. Um, but something that, uh, that we're not necessarily going to cover, but um, something that missions does for us, and I know we see this in our singleness too, um, it has a way of um, reinvigorating that, that um, our, own spiritual, our own spiritual life. Um, we see that, I, I've seen that time and time again before I was married, and that's especially one of the reasons why we want to do it together, too. Um, because when we're married, um, finding spiritual intimacy together, it may be, it can be very challenging. At least for us, it has been a challenging mm -hmm. part of our, of our walk, and you'd be surprised because you'd say, well, there are two spiritual individuals. It should be very easy to come together in that way. And it not, it's not always the case. Um, and so uh, the mission trips are definitely a way of, of allowing God to, again, use service to bring those that are serving together um, even closer. And so I definitely encourage us as um, married couples to do that, to continue getting that fire to be burning for him, um, who will be the one that draws and helps us to become more spiritual, intimate with him, with each other. Amen. Now, in Genesis 2.25, Candace brought this up, that, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And for us, we're going to talk about sexuality in a little bit, but in looking at this verse, as Candace brought up earlier, you know, about being able to be yourself, and that's one of the experiences of love that she's really appreciated. And, you know, I recall, you know, early in our, in our engagement, um, we were having a very difficult conversation. And I was struggling to be very vulnerable with her. And I think she could sense that I was struggling to be vulnerable. And as we were quietly on the phone, no one was talking, you know, she stepped in 
And she said, Sebastian, I want you to know that no matter what you say, you know, no matter how this conversation goes, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be here. And sometimes we're not vulnerable in relationships or in circumstances because we feel like if I tell this person how I really feel, if I tell them what I really think, if I tell them how I'm actually sensing, they're going to judge me, they're going to look at me differently, or they're going to walk away from the relationship. And a big part of what marriage provides and why God hates divorce is because he wants to provide that safety net to know that, look, things may get ugly. Did God's people get ugly for him? Absolutely. Did they not embarrass him? Yes. Did they shame him? Yes, but they were still his people. They may go to captivity, but they were his people in captivity. And this is a very heavy principle in marriage that if we cannot be completely vulnerable and accept each other as we are, we will fail to really enjoy what marriage as expressed through physical intimacy is trying to accomplish. That sex is really to be a physical illustration of an emotional and a spiritual and intellectual experience that has already taken place. Mm -hmm. That's why sleeping with a prostitute is not as meaningful as being intimate with your wife because there is no intimacy beyond this physical act. This is just an animalistic base desire expression. But in your marriage, you're not sleeping together and you're not being physically intimate simply because, oh, you know, you're attractive, I'm attractive. No, this is simply an expression of a deeper intimacy that we've achieved in every other area of our lives. And that's why this is called the consummation of your marriage. The Latin word consuma, that means with everything. Mm -hmm. See, before you're married, you can love with your mind. You can love with your emotions. You can love spiritually, but you cannot love them physically. You're not able to do that. God says that's only for marriage. And by the time you get married, you've built spiritual intimacy, you've built intellectual intimacy, you've built emotional intimacy, but now you're married. God says now that you've made a commitment, you can be physically intimate. And that intimacy is to reflect the intimacy in every other area of your life. And to show you that when you are naked before your spouse, their response is not to recoil in shame. Their response is not to walk away from you and say, ah, oh, you know, can we turn off the lights? <laughs> Telling the truth. Their response is, I want to embrace you and bring you closer. That's the response. And that's what that whole act is to be symbolic of. Sex is not about sex. Physical intimacy is not about physical intimacy itself. It is a symbol that should be pointing to a greater reality inside your marriage. And this for me has been a very great area that Candace has helped me to grow in and to recognize that in being able to be completely vulnerable, this is what this whole act, this is what this whole part of our marriage is all about. And you're able to recognize that how is she able to, to kiss and to embrace and want to be held by me when I failed to do my responsibilities today, when I wasn't kind today, when I wasn't the kind of man that I needed to be today. And what she's doing is she's showing me God's love, but then I recognize in that moment that because that kind of love is not natural to her, that God is loving me through my wife because she surrendered to him. And she decided that I'm going to love you anyway. 
despite all your failures and your mistakes. And that to me, in that love's experience of being naked and not ashamed. Here I am in all my faults and imperfections and weaknesses and insecurities, and all you want to do is hug and embrace. Mm -hmm. If there's anything else in life that can compare to that experience of what it means to show the grace and the love of God, please show it to me, because it's not there. And that's exactly when we look at love's experience, God could say in his ideal world, every single marriage was to have that experience. And Adam and Eve had it first, even in perfection. No shame, but to be completely free. Now, we also recognize that marriage is hard, and it takes effort <laughs> and very care, and a lot of care. Um, take your Bibles, go to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. I, I love Proverbs because it's so to the point, and it sticks in your mind. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 4. Babe, can you read it? Sure. Where no oxen are, the trowel is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. Now, I want you to, to look at this verse, right, in a very interesting way and recognize the principle that the wise man's bringing out. He said, where no oxen are, the manger is what that word is in Hebrew. The manger is clean. What does he mean by that? Right, when you look at the oxen, you have these animals, guess what's going to happen? You got to feed them and there's going to be waste. Is that not true? Mm -hmm. It ain't going to smell good. So he's saying, look, if you ain't got no oxen, the manger is clean. clean. You got no work, you nothing to clean up, nothing to organize, nothing to feed. But he says, guess what, though? Even though you may not have nothing to clean, but guess what? Much increase comes by the strength of an ox. So if you want the increase and you want the benefits of the strength of the ox and what he can bring to your agricultural society at that time, having an ox was a big deal. In fact, the word for, um, for father, right, Abba, right, coming from the Aleph, which means the strong ox, the Ab. So when you look at this fact that the father is the strong ox of the home. And in this text, he says, well, if there's no oxen, the manger's clean. But a lot of increase comes by the ox. In other words, if we want the benefits of marriage, we ought to recognize that like having an oxen, if you're going to have a spouse, you're going to have a relationship, it's going to get messy. There's going to be things you got to clean up. There's going to be parts of it that just don't smell good. You just don't like, you just don't enjoy but you have to recognize in that moment, right, that yes, it takes effort, yes, it takes work, but focus on the increase. And that's a very critical moment. You know, Ellen White says that after we get married, we will come to realize that our spouse has excellencies, these great things about them, and will come to recognize that they have weaknesses and deficiencies. And she says, this is a critical moment in your marriage. 
and it is a critical moment because you have a decision to make whether to focus on the deficiencies or focus on the new excellencies. And most people, they like to focus on the deficiencies, and you already know where that begins to take their marriage. Versus those who focus on the excellencies. They're focusing on the increase, not all the stuff that they have to clean up because they have an ox. But you have to recognize that in the same sense with marriage, if you're going to get into a relationship with a sinner, you got to expect it's going to be challenging. They are not perfect, ready for translation. Amen. Amen. And that was not the commitment. That's not what they signed up for. You got to be perfect and we will have a good marriage. Well, then you ain't perfect. So the reason our marriage ain't good is because you're not perfect. So we can't pick and choose and say, well, your imperfections are the problem in our marriage. What about your imperfections? And we obviously know that God doesn't see it any differently. Right. Um, if we skip over. Oh. Marriage is sacred. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, skip to the next one. Yep. We can go back. But it kind of dovetails with what you were just saying about uh, marriage, you know, being one that takes work. Um, and, you know, before the, before the marriage time comes in, we, are, we have many positive things to say about the other person. We can easily list off, list off all the reasons why we want to be married to them. And then something happens after, you know, the honeymoon phase is over, after the marriage happens. And then we, as Sebastian said, the, the reality of um, the different things start coming out. You realize, I mean, yeah, you married a sinner. We are all sinners, right? So um, the things that... Uh, that are not so great start to come out and start to be irritants. Um, and they many times feed into what we then respond with. It's very easy to love someone that has been being loving to you. It's very hard to be loving towards someone that is irritating or um, not showing love in the way that you desire them to mm-hmm. or showing attention. Um, and there's this, this concept about being a God-centered spouse. And that talks about in those times when, when, when there is, um, when the ox has made a mess, um, that we shouldn't be focusing, not to focus on the mess that's made, but being focused on, um, on being more of a servant to that spouse. Does that make sense? Can you articulate a little bit more, Papa? Sure, I'll add my, my mail. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that, Changed, radically changed our marriage from the beginning was this concept. And um, Candace is always the one that has these little like sound bites that she says, and you're like, man, that's deep. I got to think about that one. This is one of those concepts. And as I fleshed it out in my own mind, because I'm much more of an introverted, I know how to think about things, journal, helps me to reflect and organize my thoughts. It struck me that Essentially, what, what Candace was trying to get at was, was that if I fail to do something as a husband or as a father, she's irritated. But she has laundry to do. And she has all these other things to do for me. She's recognizing that I'm not doing these things for Sebastian. I'm doing these things for Jesus. So if Sebastian is messing up, I was never doing it for Sebastian in the first place. I was doing it for Christ's sake. 
And so that means even when you are messing up, don't get it twisted in your mind that because if she treated me based on the way I treated her, she'd be like, well, you don't take out the trash? No dinner tonight. I'm being practical. Well, you know what? You don't pay the bills? Then guess what? Don't come to me in the, at nighttime looking for some love. Like, and women do that to their husbands. Withhold physical intimacy to punish them or to alienate them. Because what are we doing? We're treating them the way we feel like they're treating us. And it's always a principle of relationships that hurt people hurt people. It's because you are hurting that you want to hurt someone else. But that's because you are a spouse-centered spouse. You're focusing on as long as you're good and as long as you're taking care of business, we're going to get along great. But once you step out of line, oh, no, nah, you messed up. So, nope, forget that. We treat them like they're like a three-year-old kid. Nope, you didn't put your stuff back, so no, no quiet time today. No story time today. Nope, I'm, I'm holding this against you, and we're using this coercive type power or reward type power to say, well, because you failed, I'm not giving you this. I'm taking this away. That's childish. Mm -hmm. But in God's mind, being a God-centered spouse is a way for us to conduct ourselves in our marriage to say, I'm not doing these things for you, Sebastian. I'm doing these things for Christ. And even if you are failing and you are messing up, I was never doing it for you in the first place. Mm -hmm. I was doing it for Jesus, so I will continue to do it. Why? Because Jesus has always been good to me. Amen. Amen. So this is where we come with this concept of the God-centered spouse, um, which for me radically changed things to say, look, you can easily compare yourself to your spouse. And that naturally happens. Who's doing more work? Who has more value? Who's doing this? Who's doing? Well, I do this. Well, I do that. This always come out of an argument. And right now, people just flexing their muscle, putting their chest out. And guys, you better know that you're going to lose that one every single time. <laughs> so don't even start down that road. Well, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I mean, okay. It's great that you can pay for a house, but uh, ain't nobody going to be in there cooking. <laughs> ain't going to be no furniture. Ain't going to be no dishes to eat with. <laughs> and you could go on and on down the line. Like, who cares? You want that kind of life? Go live in a hotel. So in this mindset, we can easily get very, very exacerbated and exasperated with each other because we're trying to be a spouse-centered spouse rather than God-centered. I praise the Lord for this because many times we don't feel like doing it, but, you know, for Jesus' sake, we're willing to bite the bullet. Amen. 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 Now, in terms of discussing spiritual intimacy, we feel like this is very, very important in your marriage that you guys are able to have conversations about physical intimacy. Some couples are very disturbed or they feel, like it says right here on the back of this car, awkward. It's like, yeah, so, um, yeah, okay, all right, good night. Uh, it's like, we can't have a conversation about this. So it's like, people need to be upfront and honest because we have no clue the background where people are coming from into their marriage. There was a book that I read um, called Make Love and Not Porn. And this book was about how vast the pornography industry is and it's influencing people's approach to physical intimacy. 
And the day that she launched the website to promote the concepts and her book, the website crashed because it got too many hits. Put the website back up, three days later, it crashed again. She started getting fan letters and all this stuff, and there was an Indian couple that wrote to her and said, you know what, um, this book saved our marriage. Why? Because she says, when we got married, I was super excited, and then after we got back to the hotel, my husband turned into something else that I had never seen before. Because in his mind, in, in, in his Indian family, no one ever sat down and talked to him about physical intimacy. So his only source of knowledge was pornography. And he's thinking, well, this is how you engage in sex and all these different things. So she wrote this book so people can understand the contrast of saying, look, that is not real. That does not equate to great physical intimacy. This is a production. And so in this sense, you know, in discussing physical intimacy, the book raises the question that we need to be able to have honest and open conversations with our spouse about what we like, what we're comfortable with, where we're coming from, and we need to be respectful of each other. Mm -hmm. This cannot just be whatever the guy wants. And Ellen White's very clear about this to women. You do not just submit to whatever your husband wants to do in terms of physical intimacy. You are not a piece of meat. God owns your individuality as a woman. Mm -hmm. And the same thing goes for men. So just because we're married is not the carte blanche, we could do whatever we want sexually. That's not true. Ellen White says it is wrong to lust after your wife. You can be married and still lusting, which means you're using your wife or your husband as an object of sexual fulfillment. You're objectifying them, and it's wrong. But because we don't have conversations about it, people feel it, but there's no space to talk about it. So we just want to talk about some uh, strategies to doing that. So the first thing is be prayerful. Um, you know, in your physical intimacy, I always find that it's very, very important to pray before we are physically intimate. So this is not like we are having joint prayer together. Yeah, no, no, okay. no. It's not like that. <laughs> so we feel like it's very, very important to be prayerful. And one of the things that I always, you know, quote in my mind in terms of approaching intimacy with my wife is to remind myself of that text in Hebrews 13, verse 4 that marriage is honorable among all people and that the bed is undefiled. And to recognize what this event and act is really all about. Mm -hmm. It's just a silent thing that I do to myself to center my mind in what this is really about and not to get caught up in my worldly experience of just, hey, you know, we're just going to go do this and this is what it's about and it doesn't matter and we give no thought to that. Um, secondly, you know, Candace really helped me with this, just to be open and honest. You know, it's very, very important that you're able to be open and honest with your spouse about what you're comfortable with, your experience in terms of sexual intimacy and being physically intimate. A lot of people, you know, Candace was very, very open. She would ask me direct questions and I'd be like super awkward and like squirming and stuff like, we can't be talking about this right now. Like, I'm tired, let's go to bed. Like, but the reality was we needed to talk about it. And she was so comfortable with herself, with her body, um, that I was not comfortable with. And I wasn't ready to have those kind of conversations. But it was important that we did have those conversations because in your marriage, it's a big part of your marriage. And at the end of the day, there's no man alive who is married who is not thinking about 
the fact that he wants to make sure that his wife is not just taken care of in terms of her physical needs, but also her sexual needs. You don't want to sit there and think, well, your wife feels like she has to go with some other guy to become fulfilled in this particular way. And in this sense, every guy has that insecurity, especially if you marry a young lady who is in the world or has been intimate before you were with her. You start having these thoughts in your mind and doubts about yourself and insecurities. Okay, am I performing? And that's not what it's really about. So it's very, very important to be open and honest. And thirdly, I would just say the same goes for females too. So it'd be really nice, guys, if you have that opening of space, making it a safe space for us to really be honest about how we feel about certain things too. And really taking those things, not just into consideration, but valuing what we're saying about it. Amen. Um, also, another point that, you know, Candace mentioned was being other-centered, right, in your approach to sexual intimacy. This is not about your pleasure, right? This is about you wanting to serve the other person in this act, right? It's not a selfish thing that you're trying to do. And so, again, discussing physical intimacy is a way for me to start asking my wife or my husband, you know, what is it that you like? What can I do, you know, that you enjoy, right? And we can have open dialogue about that, but my focus is upon you, not just in the conversation, but in the actual act of it. And also recognize that we're not performing, right? This is not a performance, right? We're not trying to make a video or anything like this. And some people have it in their mind that this is how exactly they're approaching physical intimacy. So it's very, very important that in your marriage, you're very open and honest about the fact like, look, this is not a performance. The thing that gives value to sexual intimacy has nothing to do with techniques and mechanics. It has everything to do with emotional intimacy, vulnerability, love, acceptance, and grace and spirituality. That's what makes it significant. Amen. Um, next, we have managing conflict. What's our time? Our time is over. Our time is over. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, I'll, we'll just wrap these points up. Mm -hmm. So we have basic rules that we set in our marriage for how we manage our conflict. So we have an argument or a disagreement. The first rule is no interrupting, right? My wife loves this rule. <laughs> no. It's my least favorite. But and again, you don't have to adhere to these rules. These are just the things that work for us because they're areas of weakness for each one of us. Right. So interrupting, and you know how that works, right? You get into a heated argument with your person that you're, you, you're in a relationship with or you're married, your spouse, and as soon as it starts getting heated, right, you can't even finish a sentence. Well, I was just thinking that was the problem. That was the problem. Can I finish my thought? Can I finish my thought? It's like, but you're going to talk too long. You're going to go too long. It's like, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's like, we can't be interrupting each other because we're escalating the situation. Because when you interrupt a person who's your spouse, who you claim to love and cherish, you're communicating that what you have to say is less important than what I have to say. And that makes us feel like we're not a team. We're not working on solving this conflict together. And my feelings are not, are not justifiable or you're right. invalidating them. But we do have to recognize, right, and I, I have this problem, right, I'll be honest and vulnerable, right, I'll go kind of long, right, and my wife's looking at me like, are you done? Because like, <laughs> I'm trying not to interrupt you, but it's been like five minutes. <laughs> More like 20. <laughs> <laughs> so no interrupting is very important. Also, no raising your voice. 
you have to commit to not raise your tone. Nonverbal communication is a very strong part of communication. It's actually 80% of communication is nonverbal. It's not the words you say, but your tone and your body language that says it all. And so raising your voice has to be a no-no. You cannot mm -hmm. do this ever. If that means you need to take a break, breathe, we tell our son, take deep breath, <laughs> however many you need. Um, but yes, coming back and just speaking, being calm enough to speak, because chances are if you are not calm enough, if you're not calm enough where you're raising your voice, you're not listening either. Uh, the, thirdly, the next one. is no pulling out. You know how sometimes you're in an argument and you're kind of upset, so you start to be like, okay, okay. Yep, I got you, no problem. Whatever you say, honey, whatever you say. It's pretty much because you're just done. Right. You're tired of talking about it, and you just want to end it. And so for us, we don't allow each other to just pull out like that and just cancel the whole thing like, yeah, yeah, all right, all right, whatever you say. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. No, you don't really believe I'm right. Right? You're just trying to jump out of the conversation. And again, this is not respectful, and it's not solving anything. You're just trying to procrastinate the issue. So for us, that's a rule. You can't pull out and just cancel um, and walk away from the conversation. Easier said than done, but... Uh, no personal attacking. Now, that means physically and verbally, right? I don't know why he put this one in here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just never know, man, what people are struggling with. <laughs> so... You got to let people know you cannot become aggressive, you know, um, and also verbally, right? Focus on the topic of what you're discussing. Mm -hmm. Don't attack your spouse. Focus on what you're talking about. This is the topic. But you know how we do, right? Oh, well, why didn't you pick up the kids? Da, da, da. Oh, well, you know, things got caught up. See, you always running late. This is what you always do. It's like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Are we talking about picking up the kids? Or are we talking about being on time and now it's a personal attack so it's very very important to say look we cannot make any personal jabs at the person the goal is to resolve the problem and to focus on that always remembering that we're on the same team we're married we want the same thing so we're not adversaries we're not enemies and a new rule that we also made was no arguments before bedtime you can't bring up an issue when it's time to go to sleep because you will never go to sleep. We'll never go to sleep. You'll be sitting there like, man, I got to get up early in the morning and it's like 9.30 p.m., turning off the light, lower on your pillow. You know, when you said this earlier, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I didn't mean that, but I mean, clearly you said that, but that's not what I meant. Well, what did you mean? <laughs> and now the scene just, it slowly escalates and before you know it, it's 11 o'clock midnight now your blood pressure's up, everybody, lights back on. And you're like, man, my whole day's messed up. We should have never done this. We should just wait it till the next day. So for us, it's also important that you also keep in mind in that rule, no arguments before bedtime. There's so much more that could be said about marriage um, and much that we still are learning too. Um, but if there are any questions that you have or... Um, any, any comments that you have, you can feel free to visit us here. You can go to tinyurl.com slash advisinglove. You can send write down your questions, your comments, um, and we'll be looking at those for Q&A on Sabbath afternoon. Um, and if, you, if it's something that you want us to personally talk to you about, um, 
via email or some other form of communication even beyond the conference, you can make mention of that there too. So, All right, let's have a prayer and then we will go. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of marriage. Thank you for the fact that marriage is beautiful, that marriage is sacred, that marriage is designed by God. But also, Lord, that marriage is challenging because it has the potential, as Ellen White says, to restore the image of God in men. If we conduct this relation aright. So, Lord, help us to acquiesce to these things. And we trust and pray and believe that as we apply them and as we grow, that your Holy Spirit will continue to bless the marriages that we seek to establish and to create one of the greatest arguments for the gospel by establishing an Adventist Christ-centered home is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference when all has been heard in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.